0: This is our prayer this morning. oh can you feel it heaven is reaching oh can you hear it How god is speaking oh can you see it he's got your healing oh just receive God. Praise the, praise the Father, Father. praise the
1: Oh, the perfect Son of God In all His innocence
0: God who pleads, oh praise Here, fill in the temple with your glory. Glory to God forever. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps, there's a God who pleads. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me, yeah. oh hallelujah to the sun.
1: for just a minute and we're gonna spend some time loving on one another. So take a second, turn to someone around you, say good morning, give them a smile and we'll be back in just a second.
2: Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad to gather again another Sunday. Before we get into the message, I just want to welcome anybody that might be new to Christian life. Maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've been coming a little while. Uh, But if you have not filled out, if you look underneath the seat in front of you, there's a card. That's just our connection card. If you haven't filled that out, and maybe, again, you're new, we would love for you to fill that out, and this is just a way that we can reach out to you this week and just get to know you a little bit, answer any questions you may have, and again, our heart is to help you get plugged in. We don't want you to fly under the radar. We want you to get plugged in and be known here in this church, and this is just the entryway to do that. So at some point in the service, just fill that card out, and at the end of service, we'll have a team holding buckets. You can just drop that card in there, and they'll be happy to take it from you. Uh, Also, the Church Center app is something that we talk about a lot. The Church Center app is all things Christian life, like it says on the slide. It's the events are all there listed, the schedule. If you're in a C group or a journey group, you can see everything there. But also, it's a way that you can give. So if you're ready to give your tithes and offerings, the Church Center app is a way you can do that digitally. Uh, But if you would prefer to give here in person, we have boxes in the back where you can do that. Uh, it's just a way that we worship God. We worship through singing and we worship through giving. Uh, so if you're ready to do that today, we have many ways you can do that. Also, in a few weeks, we have Next Steps coming up. And so Next Steps is a class. It's exactly as it is called. It's it's your next step. It's how you can get actively plugged in to Christian life and know more about the details of the church, the history, where we're going. Uh, and again, an opportunity for you to ask questions and Uh, This is the way that you can really get rooted and planted here at this church. Um, And this is where you can place membership. So everything happens at Next Steps. So take a picture if you are interested in getting to know more about Christian life. This is the way. And it's coming up in a few weeks. So Next Steps class happens right after church over in the ministry house. Uh, You can register. You can just show up. Whatever you prefer. Uh, But everybody say "Next Next Steps. Everybody has a Next Step. And perhaps the Next Steps class is the place for you. Also, this was not planned for me to announce, but I just, I wanted to inform you guys. Uh, This year, my task, my challenge, my goal is to build up a college ministry presence. And so, yeah, we're excited about this. And so I've been posting a little bit, and we're starting today, today at five o'clock we're going to have our first, we're calling it just a college gathering. Uh, and this will be for any college-aged person. So you don't have to be in college, but if you're right in that, graduated out of high school, you know, 22, 23 years of age, uh, we want you planted and plugged into what's happening. I mean, we just look across the nation at there's just something happening in college students. And so even before all of the college campus stuff, we, this has been something the Lord's led me to do is to get right in there with college students and since this is what I'm focusing on this year is building up a college ministry and so we hope to just reach more college students. We live in a college town so why not go after the campus and so number one just be praying for me as I enter into this. Number two if you are interested and you have a heart for college students come talk to me. Let's do this together. I can't do it by myself. And I need help. So if you're interested in reaching college students, come talk to me. Number three, if you are a college student or you know one, send them my way. Because we're going after some awesome things this year. And it starts tonight. And so we're going to have food. I'm going to cast vision. We're going to pray together. Um, It's going to be awesome. So college ministry buildup is happening this year. And so come talk to me if you're interested in any details about what that might look like. Because it's going to be awesome. going to be great. I'm excited. So today we're going to continue on. We're actually finishing our Twisted series. Um, And so we're going to close it out. Pastor Ron's going to close it out. I just want to pray for us and then we're going to jump in. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. God, we thank you that your presence is here. And so Lord, we just ask that you speak through your word today. Help us to know your word and know it accurately And give us a heart just to live it out. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just make yourself known today. And we love you so much. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us, all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> My bad. <laughs> twisted truth, everybody, it can be really dangerous. It's dangerous because when truth gets twisted, God's character is oftentimes distorted in the minds of people. It's dangerous because. When truth is twisted, the glory of Jesus is diminished. That's very alarming to us. We just sang about the glory of Jesus, didn't we? When truth gets twisted, it's dangerous because God's character is distorted, the glory of Jesus is diminished, and God's path to eternity gets diverted. These are the schemes and plans of the enemy. Do you remember the words of Jesus was, wide is the gate, and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And remember Jesus said, and many enter through that gate, go down that path. Small is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and few find it. It's Matthew 7. And so, the purpose of these last three teachings and this one today, really, is not to produce, you know, Bible bullies so you can bash people on the head with the Word. You know, you should not feel a need to go around correcting every person who might be misapplying verses. Sometimes it's harmless. Oftentimes it's just misunderstanding and you know you don't be need to be the person that's enforcing all the rules but you shouldn't compromise truth amen everybody and we should not allow the enemy to twist truth because anything that's twisted any truth that is twisted it becomes error and so the purpose of these teachings is that you know as your pastor and the leader of our ministry team here, our purpose is to equip you to rightly understand and apply the truth. Um, This world is confused. There's a bunch of confusion and misapplication about all things spiritual, and it's increasing almost daily. And I feel this responsibility that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy uh, when he was charging him to pastor the people well in Ephesus. I've read this to you. I want to I show you again. He said, uh, Timothy, charge them, God's people, in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin, ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. I love this last sentence, accurately handling the word of truth. This is the charge that I am giving to all of us. It's the charge that the Lord has given to me, is that to not wrangle around on useless, unimportant issues that divide and cause confusion in the church, but we need to be accurate and handle the word of truth so that it's not twisted. You know, um, social media has really given, I think, the voice to a lot of believers, but it also has empowered a lot of the enemies of the cross. And their goal is to attack and ruin the faith of so many, and you know this is a battle. This is a war. This is spiritual warfare, everybody. And the there are people that you love that the enemy wants to deceive and to lure away from God, and so we need to be ready for this. And the battle is raging. In fact you need to get ready because the enemies of, of, of the cross are going to be using every tool that's available to them even more and more to undermine truth. In fact, I don't know if, if you are, have, are aware of this, but you know, th- there is a, um, there's a new science that has developed a system now that I think the enemy is going to be using more and more frequently uh, to undermine truth. It's called, the application is artificial intelligence. I don't know how many of you are aware of what's going on right now in this realm, but it's very concerning because AI leverages computer systems and huge data sets to mimic the problem-solving and decision-making capabilities of the human mind, but it's done artificial. It's done by software that can, in just an instant, collect incredible amounts of data that and then can even form a communique. And I don't know if you've seen this recently, but uh, two Vanderbilt deans just got suspended because they used this ChatGBT, which basically is an artificial intelligence software they created a communication via email that was not their own. And so they used the software program, they were just wanting to send out an email about the deadly mass shootings at Michigan State, but the computer wrote the email and they just claimed it for themselves. Well, they forgot to make sure that they took the reference material off of it, so they basically used the computer to create something. And I'm, I'm just saying to you, uh, They got suspended because they were doing this, but this software is capable of producing large amounts of text and generating writing that pulls from tens of thousands of resources and databases and produces thoughts and opinions. And they're just scratching the surface of this. In the next 10 or 15 years, watch what is going to happen. The reason why am I even bringing that up? I know some of you don't really care about this, but you ought to. Because I'm telling you that there will be, ac- there, there will be opportunities for people who know, any, who know nothing really about the kingdom of God and about the word of God. And they will be, be able to gather incredible amounts of data and use some artificial intelligence to start wrangling about with words. The word wrangling is just starting. And as a pastor... I'm concerned about this for us that we have to know the Word and be able to rightly and accurately apply the Word of God. And so there's nothing for you to be afraid of, but we must learn how to handle the Word of truth. Let me say it again, we must know how to accurately handle the Word of truth. And uh, this next generation is going to be dealing with things that we uh, just have not really had to deal with so what I've said to you several times in these lessons is that there are three things that are so important I have it on the screen for you right now understanding the context of whatever verse that you are looking at whatever truth you're discovering interpreting scripture with other scriptures that means you're not just going to pull out something that's that stands alone and always be applying what you've learned there's nothing worse than having head knowledge and it doesn't change your life And so these are the three steps. There are lots others that we could add to it, but this is the basics, everybody. In fact, um, I want to look at one of the most uh, often misapplied verses that once you understand this today, it really has the power to change your life. And I want to give you the context of this because uh, context is king. Everybody say that. Context is king. It makes so much of a difference whenever you're wanting to accurately apply the Word of God or handle the Word of God. And it's Matthew 18, 20. Um, Jesus said, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There am I in the midst of them. Now, this verse on a standalone has been quoted so many times by me, by other staffers. We use this whenever we're having a prayer meeting, and there's only two or three here. Well, there's only two or three, but Jesus said He'd be in the midst of us. We've used this whenever we have worship nights, whenever you meet in your C groups, whenever the journey groups get together. We apply this. We apply the Scripture, and it's true. There's nothing that — we're not twisting truth because God is present. But when you understand the context of this, it takes the revelation of what Jesus was saying to a whole bigger, deeper, more powerful level. Hello, everybody. We're barely scratching the surface whenever we just make this application. Well, Jesus said, He's with us. Well, why did Jesus say, when two or three are gathering together, I'm there with them? In order to understand this, we need to understand the context of it. Now, let me just do some Bible teaching for you just a little bit here, everybody. So, so you do realize that chapters and verses are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were created by man. And when you read through the Bible, it, it, it kind of works against getting context because we, and we're reading one verse at a time and one verse at a time, one verse at a time, and oftentimes we don't understand the context of paragraphs, of thoughts. And I don't know how many of you know what a pericope is. You know, what, you know what a pericope is? It's not a word we use very much. But when you read through the Bible, like many Bibles, they will, they will, they will separate out paragraphs with the use of a pericope, which is basically a man-made heading that describes what is underneath that paragraph. And so in, I didn't bring my Bible with me this morning. I have just my notes on my iPad. But it, some of you have this in your lap right now. your in your uh, print Bibles you'll see pericopes and they're placed there by the translators that help you see where the paragraph or where thoughts they have to be careful because those pericopes are not inspired I wouldn't build your life around somebody who's just categorizing verses but it's important for you to understand it's important for you to understand paragraphs whenever you are studying anything and and also when you're studying the Bible in fact The pericope in my Bible that I have at home, that's the heading over this paragraph, is that pericope says, a brother who sins against you. Okay, so that begins, that pericope was well placed there because that's the beginning of this paragraph. Let's read the whole context because that verse, chapter 18, verse 20, is the last sentence in that paragraph. And so it begins here with Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, a lot of translations says sins against you. The context here is a sinning against you. If a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. This is Jesus speaking. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell the church. So this is one of the few times that Jesus specifically talks about behavior in the church that he had not established but was going to establish. Tell it to the church. We're part of the church, we are a local church that's part of the bigger church. Amen? And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Verse 18, another very commonly misapplied Scripture. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is within the context of division and conflict in the church. Look at the next verse. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on, on earth agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Have we, Has he left the context of resolving conflict in the church? You might think he has, but he has not. And then the last verse, which is our verse today, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So, Jesus is speaking about showing up in his presence manifesting when there is conflict and division that needs to be healed. And that there is a powerful uh, opportunity for us to agree together and see the power of prayer basically destroy the work of the devil that's trying to discourage and, and, and divide God's people. So there's the context. Now, if context is king and that's the immediate context, let's back out, everybody, and get another greater look at, at the greater context. In fact, if you go all the way to the beginning of Of Matthew chapter 18 the very first paragraph is another very common passage of Scripture where the disciples came to Jesus and said who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom they wanted to be and you remember this story Jesus got a child put him on his lap and he said this is one that if you're gonna be like him you're gonna be the greatest and he talked about humility as a child and so and then Jesus said Don't cause these kids to stumble. Don't cause these little ones to stumble. That's paragraph two. It begins in verse six. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. We're looking for the context, everybody. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. So Jesus is being very aggressive here with his verbiage. He's like, things are going to happen that hurt people. Children are going to be attacked. It's going to come. I mean, when you think about child abusers and sex traffickers, and now we have a whole nother group of people called groomers that their goal is to deceive and to destroy and to bring children into bondage, everybody say, "Whoa. That's what Jesus is saying. Woe to them who are causing offenses. Now don't close up your mind by thinking that you're not one of them because when you apply the word, you want to hear the words of Jesus, that we must be careful that we, don't, we are not causing people to stumble, okay? So we're talking about context because think about the offenses that happen to children in a church. In America, just think about it, worldwide. Think about the child abuse and how many of those people who got offended in church when they were young because they were mishandled, mistreated, abused, have wandered away from the Gospel? How many of them? On the flip side, how many of you, the greatest thing that ever happened to you is that when you were in a church, somebody helped you have a personal experience with God and they imparted truth to you and now you're still serving God? Thank God for that. But we're looking at the paragraph — we're looking at context by looking at paragraphs and when you come to paragraph three three, the line of thought continues from Jesus he says what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away he's just talked about not causing children or young the young to stumble and now he's talking about the victims of abuse that have stumbled and they've wandered away And Jesus said, will that that man who owns a hundred sheep not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than the ninety-nine that didn't wander off, in the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So stay with me, all this is being said before Jesus is saying, if somebody's... If somebody sins against you, two things. Don't be the person that's causing others to stumble. And secondly, don't just sit on your hands and not do anything about it. Okay? Now, I want to give you some quick observations. In in order to do this, we've got to go back to our text, right? If your brother or sister sins against you, go point out their fault just between the two of you. And then if they listen, you've won them over and the, the issue is resolved. But if they will not listen, then go and take to a more others along. If they refuse them, then tell it to the church and bring it to the leaders of the church and let them come and try to reconcile the relationship. And, but if they refuse to listen, then there are some people that are so toxic, that are so stubborn. You know, Paul said, Be, as much as possible with you, live at peace with all people. But there are some people... That, so can I, can I just say this to you, everybody? Listen, it takes one person to forgive, but it takes two people to reconcile. It, you need to understand, you say, well, I, just, I, I, I can forgive, but you might not be able to fix it. It takes one person to forgive, and you and I have a responsibility to forgive. And then we do our best to reconcile. This is the context of what Jesus is talking about. And then he's saying, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loosed. And then when you agree together in prayer, asking it, it'll be done by my Father in heaven because I am there in the midst of people whenever they gather in my name. So here's my observations. Number one, I want to put this up here for you, that Jesus values, clean relationships so much that he promises to show up in a special way to help offended people come to peace in the church. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there is something so powerful that when you come into agreement, in alignment with his desire to cause people not to stumble or to bring back those who have been offended and have wandered off where the devil is eating their lunch, to bring them back, if you will will value clean relationships that are all around you the way he does, Jesus says, I'm going to come and get dirty with you. I will be there in the midst of you. This is so huge, everybody. I can't tell you, there's so many times I have met with with two people who are hurting or angry with one another. I don't even know how many times I've done this. And I just, I I can tell you most of the time, 90% of the time, if I can just sit down with two people that are hating on one another and invite, and they're willing to invite Jesus into the room, Then when Jesus in His presence comes into the, into the room, and we are gathered there in His name, and we are gathered there for His sake, and we are gathered there because He is with us, almost always they leave hugging and loving one another when they were hating on one another before they showed up. It's one of the greatest joys of being a pastor through the years is seeing the anointing walk into the room when people are angry and hurt and abused and mad and just invite Jesus there and for his sake, everybody settle down and let's let the Lord do his thing. Jesus is promising you that if you'll have the courage and that if you would be willing to make the sacrifice, And you are willing to go and confront and have a conversation with somebody who has wounded you, hurt you, disappointed you. If you invite Jesus in there, he has promised I will show up there. It's so quiet in here right now, but let's just keep preaching. Here's the second observation. Jesus values clean relationships because division hinders prayer. And the power of an authority that you have in pr- prayer is so important right now. I'm just telling you, it is. But if you are angry at this person, and this person's angry at you, and you're not speaking to your wife, and you are calling people names and gossiping about everybody, then go ahead and get on your knees and pray for a miracle and see what happens. Nothing's gonna happen. Are y'all, are y'all okay with me? just teaching what Jesus is teaching us? Again, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This isn't the promise of you just getting together with anybody and randomly just praying for a million dollars or whatever you want to heap it upon your own lust. This is not magic. This is the context of when you are in conflict and you humble yourself like a little child and you stop wandering out there alone, but you come together and say, we want Jesus more than anything else. We will not tolerate strife and division and name-calling and anger, and we are going to for His sake gather together, at that point you can join in agreement and pray, and God is promising if you ask the Father, He will hear that prayer. I think those prayers go something like this, God, I've been so angry with sister, or this guy, I've been so angry, God, please forgive me and heal my heart. And give us, brothers and sisters, a future together. Increase the anointing of all of our relationships because we just put our foot on the devil's neck and we said he will not rule our lives with bitterness and anger anymore. Listen to me, everybody. There is authority. There is authority in that. And Jesus is telling us, that it's so because at that point you become able to bind and loose. Look, look, look at First Peter chapter three verse seven. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you love your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the grace of life, so that nothing, so that nothing, so that nothing, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So division of offenses in the church hinders prayer, and division among couples where husbands and wives are offended with one another, it hinders prayer. Jesus knows it hinders prayer, that's why He wants your relationships clean. He doesn't want you to go to sleep angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Come on everybody, here's another thing, these are just observations. Jesus values clean relationships in the church so much that He makes reconciliation the highest priority of worship in the church. You guys were taking pictures, but nobody took a picture of that one. You you should take a picture of this one, everybody. Matthew chapter 5, remember we said you interpret Scripture with Scripture? Matthew 5, verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. so, almost he's talking reverse here. Now he's talking to people that may have caused somebody to stumble. Maybe you've been harsh or callous or indifferent, or maybe you stole somebody's money and maybe you borrowed a chainsaw and never brought it back. Maybe you were with some girlfriends and they were trashing your buddy and you didn't take a stand and stop it. And they know it. And you're like, I don't know, we don't even talk anymore. But you want to come do your religious duty, you want to bring your offering, you want to pray, you want to lead worship, you want to lead a cell group. Hello. You want me to give you a microphone? You you want to work out in the parking lot? You You want to serve everybody? Leave your gift alone and go and be reconciled to that person that has been offended by you. Invite Jesus into that room. Come on, everybody. He said, if you'll gather in my name for my sake, then I will show up in the midst of your big mess. I'm preaching so good right now. First go, be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. All right, everybody. I love this promise. I love when I'm at a prayer meeting, Jesus shows up. I love at worship nights, Jesus shows up. I love when I'm gathered with two or three people and we're just kind of hanging out, studying the Bible. I love that Jesus shows up. He promised that he would. But you know what I really love? Is that when people are at one another's throats, and the devil is taking advantage of that, and then Jesus gets invited into that reconciliation time, that's when Jesus really shows up. And the power of God humbles hard hearts, and hearts get knit back together, and healing comes. I don't know how many people have left this church because they won't deal with an offense. They have just moved on because they don't have the courage and don't have the humility to be like a little child and say, it ain't about me, it's about Jesus. And we're going to get over this. Oh, man, I'm preaching really good right now. <laughs> you know, this is, listen, this is good pastoring. This is good stuff here. This is, this is the shepherd of our souls. This is how Jesus said, this is what's going to happen in the church. Let me give you a couple of things. Handing offenses. You're taking a lot of notes. Here, here's, and, and we're not even online. They're missing out this morning, aren't they? One Sunday, it's good that you came to church. It'll be online uh, later this week. Comcast busted the cable out there, but we haven't church anyhow. We ain't bound. Jesus rules the airwaves anyhow, everybody. What is an offense? An offense is a hurt or injury that comes. It usually comes because, well, excuse my Tennessee language, it just ain't right. That ain't right. We love each other, this ain't right. That's how offenses come. It could be the result of a sinful action like in this case where somebody really blatantly has sinned against another person. Or it could be an offense that just comes with something that's less severe but still divides people. In fact, let me show you there are three ways that offenses come. The first one is through betrayals. Offenses come through betrayals. And then you just got to know this, everybody. It, it, offenses are, are a certainty. They're not a rarity. In Luke 17:1, Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. But Jesus said it's impossible. Offenses are going to come. And he's talking about a church here. When you're in a church, you have a lot of relationships with a lot of loving people and it's easy to be left out when you didn't think you should have been left out. Hello? It's it's easy for somebody to betray your trust when you just bear your heart with them and next thing you know, they got loose lips and they're telling your business to somebody else. If if none of this stuff has ever happened to you, just get ready because it's coming. Jesus said it's It's impossible for it not to happen because us people, we are a mess. Hello? Some of you are acting really holy right now. (laughs) A betrayal is a violation of a person's trust. And I just want you to see this because the question is not, will you be offended? The question is, when I get offended, how am I going to handle it? That's the real question. And are you going to carry the offense around? Are you going to retreat and pull away? Are you just going to leave the group? Are you going to do like Jesus predicted? And even though you were with 99 other, you just began to separate yourself? And you slowly walked away until you are lost. And you are by yourself a vulnerable sheep by yourself caught in the briars or out there all alone. Jesus said He wants more than anything else that these little ones that wander off, that they, don't, that, 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 that they don't get destroyed, that we bring them back and that the Father rejoices when they come back. I mean, how are you going to handle it? Will you say, I'll never be able to trust anybody again? Are you going to blame everybody and then start blaming God? God? Offenses come through betrayals. Here's the second way they come. They come through unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. You ought to write that down. They may not even be sinful, but they can still offend us. You know, all relationships that are meaningful in your life have, by nature of those relationships, expectations. And most of them are good and healthy and right. But for some of us, we have unrealistic expectations of others. And I have found lots of times that people are offended in church because they had an unrealistic expectation. And sometimes you have to do some self-evaluating and say, okay, are my expectations for those people that are not meeting those expectations unrealistic? And if they're not, they're, if, they're, if they are realistic and they just drop the ball and you got your feelings hurt, then you have to decide how are you gonna deal with this? Because the question is not if you're gonna be offended, it's gonna be how are you gonna deal with it when you do get offended? Okay, so some of our expectations are unhealthy because they're unrealistic. You guys know what I'm talking about. I don't think I need to give you examples, but, you know, I didn't get invited to the party. Nobody showed up at the hospital when I was sick. I posted it on, online. How about this one? This is a common one. She never returns my text. Pastor, I've texted her for three days, and she's not returning my text. Well, maybe Comcast cut her cable. You know what, or maybe she's going through something that's so devastating right now she can hardly lift her head up and look at a text. Context is king, not just in the scripture, but when you are dealing with unmet expectations and offenses. Okay, everybody, I know this is close to home, but here's the way offenses, they come from betrayals, they come through unmet expectations, and they come through harmful words oh man, oh man. So we have all hurt people with our words. In fact, I guarantee you that you have been hurt with just frivolous words. Remember what the first foundation scripture we read today is don't wrangle about with words, useless words that cause the ruin of relationships, be arguing about things that don't matter because you want to win the argument. The Bible tells us that life and death are in the power of tongue, and such a small thing causes so much damage. And you know, I, you know, I'm, I am, I am by nature a joker and a teaser. And Carrie is Carrie loves sarcastic humor. That's sick. And, and I have a church full of people that are just like her. I'm like, that was sarcasm. Is that a joke or an insult? Sometimes it's both. That's the problem with sarcastic humor. You, you think you're getting away with insulting people with a joke, but you know what? They're smarter than you are sometimes. Oh, it's getting quiet, I know. But there's been so many times I said, you know what, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. And you know what, you know what, one thing I hate to do, I mean, I, I literally hate to do, and I've had to do this on more than one occasion in all the 40 years that I've been pastoring, is I hate to have to go to somebody because I betrayed something they told me in confidence and own it and say, I told your secret to somebody. And I know I hurt you. Will you forgive me? Woe to those who cause people to stumble. But we all do. We all at some point are, are the offender or the offended. And in, the ch- in church relationships, this is why people are leaving church, because, because their expectations are so high, and rightfully so, we expect one another to walk in love and forgiveness with us. But we have to have context of what's going on, everybody. Listen. This is so important. You have to decide before you are offended that you are not going to allow the spirit of offense to dominate your life and so become, so you become so connected with this thing that, that you're not comfortable unless you are walking in offense or you're just walking around looking for everybody, expecting everybody to betray you and, and hurt you. That's no way to live. Jesus wants us living in agreement. He wants us to have the power of the promise. And that is when you gather in my name for my sake, then I will be there and you can pray in agreement and boom, your Father is going to do it. And you can bind the devil and he's bound. And you can loose love and forgiveness and it's loose because you have authority because you refuse to walk in offense. The healthiest churches in America and around the world are churches that understand this. And I — can I just tell you, it's a it, shame on us that we invite Jesus into the middle of our room, but we got people in this building that we won't even talk to because we're mad at them or they, they hurt our feelings. And I ought not be so. We ought to all be on our faces, on our knees, thanking God that He loves us and He's forgiven us and He's given us another chance. And, and He overlooked our shame and our sin, and He still loves us. And, he, and when we wandered, He went after us. He left the 99, and He didn't leave us in the, in the briars, in the thicket. Let me tell you something. The best thing that ever happened to you is Jesus, and He has forgiven you and changed you, and He's committed to you. And the best thing that you can offer one another is the same spirit, that I'm here with you through thick or thin, and I refuse to let the devil offend us and cause us to live in strife with one another. Okay. Let me give you five guidelines for resolving conflict you got to know what to do. I just ask you, how do you handle offense? It's not if, it's when. Okay, here's the when. When somebody offends you. Of course, I've already told you the big one. The big one is invite Jesus into that. Don't don't separate yourself from Jesus. Because he doesn't want his church to be that way. So you got to invite Jesus, but here it is. Number one, don't ignore the conflict, address it. I want you writing these down because this will make my job easier. Just kidding. This will help you get free because you know what? At some point, you and I are going to talk through these things when you are mad at somebody, maybe even my wife because she was sarcastic with you, or maybe me because I cracked a joke that you didn't like. Don't ignore the conflict, address it. Everybody say that with me. Don't ignore the conflict. Address it. This is what Jesus said. If you bring in your gift to the altar and you know that somebody's got an an attitude towards you, drop it and go get it right then. Resolve it. Stop and go. Stop and go. Address it. Jesus said, when your brother or sister has sinned against you, you go to them. Okay? It always starts with just you and Jesus address it in prayer my encouragement is ask your sp- if you're married and your, your spouse is a believer ask him. will you just pray with me I'm having a hard time dealing with this offense oftentimes I've seen people with their prayer partners deal with it with one another and they're like you know this is just an unmet expectation this isn't like they stole my kids money my, my kids college money this is just you know I'm offended, and you can deal with it then. But you still got to address it. If you can't get it cleared out of your spirit with just you and Jesus, then you have to go talk to the person about the conflict. And I'm telling you, there are many people that would rather just go out the back door and go find a whole nother church to go go be with than be willing to go sit there. How can that be? How, How can that be? Because, you know, there's another conflict waiting for you at the next church. And then after somebody hurts you there and you go to the next one, there's another conflict waiting for you. It's impossible for for offenses not to come. But you know what? Jesus is with you here. He'll be with you there. Address it. If you can't get it cleared out of your spirit, I'm talking about really clear, Then you have to go talk to the person. Here's number two five guidelines is resolving conflict. Don't exaggerate the conflict, solve it with the least amount of publicity and public scrutiny as possible. Don't grow it. And listen, undealt with offenses usually get worse. When I was a young man, I hated conflict. A young man in ministry, I'm like, "Yeah, they're mad. Why can't people just get along? I don't want to go meet with these people again. I'm so sick of this. Let them go get their own church. I used to have these attitudes like, wearing me out, wearing me out." And so I would just, I'm like, I'm just let the Holy Ghost deal with it. I let, let, let the Lord work it out. Let the Lord work it out. Let the Lord work out it. And it always got worse. And I learned this as when I was a young man trying to pastor church. That the Lord was always trying to work with it. But, you know, Jesus has a plan. And that plan is, you get, you got to talk it out. And then if it doesn't work, you need to bring another party in there. Because if not, it's going to get exaggerated. It's going to grow. And then, and then what was just between two people, it becomes public. So I want you to see this. you got to own it and don't expose it. Don't exaggerate the conflict. Can I just say this to you? We have a tendency to exaggerate the things that wound us. And we have our tendency to diminish or belittle the things that we do to hurt other people. It's human nature. Don't exaggerate it. Here's number three don't abandon unsettled conflict, pursue it until it is resolved. The first attempt to get something right might not last. But I'm just encouraging you, don't, un- un- don't abandon unsettled conflict. If, the, if you still are dealing with strife with people that, that have offended you or somebody that has sinned against you, don't stop until the thing gets resolved. You can't just go halfway. Hey, listen to me, everybody. You know why divorce happens? Is because of this point is that people decide, you know, I'm just tired of arguing about this and we can't ever get this right, but let's just drop it. Anybody ever done that? Let's just drop it. But it doesn't get dropped. Because the next time something comes up that causes you to stumble, hello, then all those things that you dropped, they all come up. And it gets heavier. And it gets bigger. You've got to resolve conflict. Here's number four don't struggle alone when necessary take two or three godly impartial people to help settle the conflict this is what Jesus said to do this isn't this isn't pastor Ron making something up this this this, there's authority in this Jesus said if you go and you meet with a person that has sinned against you and and it gets settled you've won that brother you've won that sister now it's man that's awesome You invited Jesus there. Now y'all are praying together. Now you 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 know the devil is bound. Love is loosed. Hello, right? Because Jesus was there. But when that doesn't happen, then you might need to invite somebody. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want people being involved. You know what? If you invite somebody to help you resolve conflict, get ready to hear some things that you may not want to hear. This is part of the reason, reason why people don't want to invite other people into the conflict within a church. Because listen, if if I'm mediating a conflict, you can just guarantee I'm going to be looking for what you did wrong and what you have done wrong and how you can come together. And even if the lion's share of the fault is on the left, I guarantee you there's something that you didn't handle right. And the best way to resolve conflict is to care enough about each other that you're willing to humble yourself like a little child and say, I'm sorry too. So don't struggle alone. Take two or three godly, impartial people. Help settle the conflict. This is so scary. I get it. You know? But we're looking for agreement. Right? We're we're looking for agreement so we can bind the enemy and loose love. And uh, here's the last one, everybody. Number five. Don't recycle conflict. Once it's resolved, let it go and get Back to your life. Don't recycle conflict. Once it's resolved, let it go and get back to your life. There's nothing good about you reminding your friend that offended you, stole your money, flirt, flirted with your husband or your wife. I mean, things happen. I mean, I've been around this for a long time. Listen, I, I've seen... I see sin happen in this church that devastates people. And it's not easy to recover from these things. But once the recovery is made, let's don't recycle this thing. Let's let's get over it and let's move forward. Can you say amen, everybody? So this is challenging. And some of you might be thinking, I don't know if church is worth it. I don't really have to go to church with a bunch of those hypocrites. I got Jesus in me. That's all I need. I got my Bible. I got my Jesus. And that's all I need. I'm just going to get my Bible on. I'm going to get my Jesus on and everybody stay away from me. It ain't worth it. That's not the church Jesus envisioned. The church that Jesus envisioned was a body that needs each other that's connected by joint and tissue and sinew and that is thriving up underneath the head, that he's the head. Right, everybody? That's the church that Jesus envisioned, an imperfect body that would learn how to submit and grow and love and surrender to the head. And But you're thinking, what if it keeps happening? Well, I got just the verse for you. Because that was Peter's issue. Jesus said, still in context. Jesus said, go resolve it. Take others. Bring it before the church. Let the church elders try to reconcile this thing. And if a person's so toxic that they can't be reconciled, then we have to do something. We have to discipline them. Okay? But read the last paragraph. If you keep reading paragraphs, Jesus starts another one because it says, then Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, oh, Lord, well, how many times must I forgive? Did you know all of this was in the same context of Jesus saying where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them? Probably not. Because we have a tendency to cherry pick and don't understand the real power of the word. Well, the power of the word is in this context. Jesus wants your marriage healed. He wants your church healed. He wants your family healed. And he wants you to not cause one another to stumble. And when you do stumble or when when someone has offended you, you have to forgive. Then Peter came and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? This is so famous, you know it. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven. Not seven times. Listen, everybody, I want you to see this. Jesus is saying there's no limit. Seventy times seven. I, I don't know if you get this, but my encouragement to you is this. Don't go confront a brother or a sister that has offended you if you haven't already decided you're going to forgive them. If you are withholding forgiveness, you're going to waste your time. If if before you go to them, you have already set a scenario, well, I'll forgive them if they really apologize the way I want them to apologize. I'll forgive them if they show me and promise they'll never do it again. Well, don't even go. Remember I told you earlier, it takes one person to forgive and two people to reconcile. But no reconciliation begins without forgiveness. And so you have to make a decision now that you're going to forgive. And then you can go to the person and it will mostly be able to be resolved between just the two of you. But what if they do it again? Well, um, I don't know. Jump in the boat with Peter. Because he had the same question. And Jesus answered him, listen, well, when is it it enough that I can stop forgiving? You know what Jesus said? When you're ready for God to stop forgiving you, then you can stop forgiving others. Are you ever going to be there? Are you ever going to be so holy in your relationship with God? That you would say, Lord, you never have to forgive me again for the rest of my life. In fact, if I break your trust, just go ahead, send me to hell. Does anybody want to live like that? Then why would you expect that of other people? Why would you put a limit on other people offending you when you don't want God to have a limit on how much he loves you and is willing to forgive you? All right, let's stand together. So, you know, this, this verse wasn't so much twisted. It just needed to be set in the proper context. Would you say amen to that, everybody? It just needed to be placed in the right context. There's two people in the room that we're talking to right now, and it's, it's those of you that have a tendency you're kind of like a bull in the china cabinet you know you you just bumping into everybody and maybe your attitude is well i don't care they need to get over it. this is just the way that i am that's not going to work very good in the church because you're going to, need to be like a little child humble and not throwing your weight around So, you got to learn to grow a little bit. Woe to those who cause offenses to come. Okay, it's a big warning. At the same time, Jesus is saying to those of us who not only do we not deal with offenses well, but we just run from it. And we have a tendency to walk around in our offense. And some people that are easily offended, well, they're like a porcupine, you know. They, it's like if you get close to them, you're going to get quills in your butt. Sorry, I shouldn't have used the B word. I'm glad we're not online. We can delete that. But uh, the others of you, you're un- like undercover porcupines. It's like you don't have your bristles out. You're not backing in the people trying to poke them. But you're just quiet and reserved. And then when people are like, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. Hey, I text you, you never respond. What's wrong? Nothing. Hey, you ain't been to church in three months. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Well, what's wrong? Nothing. You're just quiet. But boy, at some point, the quills are coming out. And this is, this is why I'm saying, would you just invite Jesus into this place? I know some of us are more sensitive than others. Some of you have got some hurt, you know, that has happened through relationships. I mean, some of you grew up with conflict and you don't want anything to do with it. You're like, I'm running, I'm, you know, but you can't run from conflict forever. You got to learn how to invite Jesus into it. And talk this thing. And I'm just going to say this to you. This will be the last thing. Those of you that are struggling with offenses. And you need to go get some things right. One thing I want you to do. Is I want you to go. But before you go. I want you to get alone with Jesus. And you need to have the conversation that he and Peter had. And maybe even read the parable that Jesus talked about. Where a person was forgiven of a humongous debt. But then. Grab somebody around the throat and said, pay me my $20. And he got thrown back in prison because he wouldn't forgive. He was forgiven, but he refused to forgive. And my, my thing to you is before you go, go having already been ready to forgive. You still have a right to express your desire and talk it out. And if you need some coaching, I mean, that's why Jesus said, get some people to help you. Don't go it alone. Amen? All right. Well, this is four weeks. We've been talking about some of these issues. I have enjoyed it so much. And I just really think right now that this is probably the most dynamic and powerful one of the three that has the potential to change your life if you'll apply this. Find a context. We interpreted scripture with scripture. Remember, we used other verses that says, leave your gift, go be reconciled, then come back. This is the way church wants it. And the last thing that we said is that what good does theology do you if you don't apply it? These lights are so bright, I can't see your faces. Oh, y'all still out there. How many of you needed to hear this today? Okay, let's, let's, let's answer a different way. Don't clap. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you needed to hear this? Let me see your hand. That's about 40% in my rough calculation. If I had that... AI, artificial intelligence thing, I could probably, I could probably send you out an email generated by some ungodly thing, but here's the reality. If this is about 40%, then, then the 40%, then that means probably 80% of the people here involved, because if you raise your hand, you're probably mad at somebody else that's in the church. <laughs> or maybe even your husband or your wife is right there. And so there's probably going to be a lot of turnover I mean, not, I don't want you to leave the church because of this sermon. I just want you to come back next week really healthy, smiling, happy, and in your gift to the altar because you have prayed in agreement and you have bound the devil in loose love. Come on, everybody. And you are doing it for the sake of Jesus. That's what I want you to do. Amen. Hey, if you really are glad that there's no limit to how much He's willing to forgive you for the rest of your life. Give him a big ovation of praise, everybody. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And if I offended you in my preaching, please forgive me. And if Carrie's funny sarcasm has offended you, then forgive her, and life will be a lot better for all of us. God bless you, everybody. Have a great Sunday. Go deal with your offenses.